from the Mercy One Studio. Man Up, brought to you by Construction Professionals, a program dedicated to inspiring and helping men live lives of heroic virtue. Join Joe Stopulus every Monday at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio. And now, it's time to Man Up. Welcome to Man Up on Iowa Catholic Radio. We are broadcasting today from the Mercy One Studio, heard on 1150 AM, 88.5 FM, and 94.5 FM. We're on the globe, streaming online at iowacatholicradio.com and on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. I am Joe Stopulus, and today I am joined by my good friend, Dr. Bud Marr, and we are going to be discussing the journey home, specifically his conversion to Catholicism, uh, and his most recent interview, on the show, The Journey Home on EWTN. Let's start in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and the snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dr. Bud Marr. One of Des Moines' favorite people is actually going to be returning to Des Moines as well. So it's going to be a two-part uh, conversation. Part of it is on uh, his actual coming home, how he found his way into the church, uh, and then his interview with Marcus Grodi uh, on that very informative and famous show, the, the Journey Home. And then also he is actually coming home. He's coming back to Des Moines. So I want to ask him at least a little bit uh, about what he's doing in Des Moines and how, how we've snagged him back from uh, beautiful Pittsburgh and the Newman Institute. So we're going to head to a short break, and when we return, we'll have on Dr. Bud Marr. Thank you, construction professionals, for underwriting Man Up. Construction professionals have been long supporters of Iowa Catholic Radio, and we've seen their work firsthand. It's very impressive. They do remodeling or new construction that is innovative, functional, and designing what you want. cpcustomhomes.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the morning is provided by Five Sons Naturescapes. Five Sons Naturescapes is a Catholic veteran-owned family company providing premium outdoor landscaping. Clean up and restore outdoor living space with retaining walls, privacy fencing, pergolas, paver sidewalks, and patios. Issues with soil settling and water around the foundation and yard? Five Sons Naturescapes can grade and install drainage tile to help. Five Sons Naturescapes online at fivesonsnaturescapes.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo is provided by Confluence Brewing Company, a local brewery featuring seasonal and limited-release beers located off the bike trail south of Grays Lake and online at confluencebrewery.com. Confluence Brewing Company has growlers to go, apparel, and other gifts for family and friends. Confluence Brewing Company is available for curbside service and would like to thank you for your support. Thank you, Confluence Brewing Company, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Hi, I'm Deacon Mike Mano. And I'm Gina Knoll. We're here to let you know that Faith on Trial is returning to Iowa Catholic Radio. Faith on Trial examines the influence of law and society on people of faith. Beginning March 26th, you will hear us every Thursday at 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. And it's all here on Iowa Catholic Radio, where you can also hear us through our website on iowacatholicradio.com. Or download the app. Follow the Faith on Trial Facebook page for upcoming guests and issues. So beginning March 26th, join us every Thursday at 10 for Faith on Trial. 
Hi, I'm Al Cresta, host of Cresta in the Afternoon. After the Second Vatican Council, Catholic laity began to take co-responsibility for the church, and the Catholic radio movement is one of the great fruits of that post-conciliar church. Catholic radio edifies, it exhorts, it encourages, it educates, it engages the culture, and on occasion, we entertain a bit. Your partners with your local Catholic radio station, support them. You can give securely online at iowacatholicradio.com, the Iowa Catholic Radio app, or call 515-223-1150. My help comes from you. You're right here Welcome back to Man Up on Iowa Catholic Radio. My guest today is my friend, Dr. Bud Marr, and the topic is the journey home. And it is a multifaceted reason for that topic. Dr. Bud Marr, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on, Joe. So as you already know, I'm alluding to multiple things with the title, A Journey Home. Most specifically... You were on uh, the highly acclaimed show, The Journey Home. So I, A, want to talk about that. And then, B, you are actually having a journey home here shortly. So a lot of stuff to cover. Um, but I thought we would first start with your uh, with your most recent, uh, I guess your only appearance, but your very recent appearance uh, on Marcus Grody's show, uh, The Journey Home. So first off, can you tell our listeners about the show and then maybe how your opportunity uh, to get on it came about? Yeah, Marcus Grodi himself was a Protestant minister, and when he came into the Catholic Church, he found the various obstacles and difficulties to someone who had been in Protestant ministry and all of a sudden found themselves Catholic. So over the years, he's actually developed this whole coming home network, which is a support network for Protestants who have studied theology or been in the pastorate and then in conscience you know, decide to become Roman Catholic. Uh, And a big part of that ministry is the journey home where he hosts conversations with individuals like that. And so it's basically, you know, each person or couple's story of their journey from out being outside the Catholic church to becoming a member of it. It's interesting on on your episode. And one thing I was pointing just off the bat here, you guys can listen to this interview uh, either on on podcast or on YouTube, however you do it. There's a lot of various ways. Just, just Google search Marcus Grodi or Bud Marr or Journey Home, uh, and you'll find it. And uh, it's it's really well done. And obviously, we get really deep into your story, uh, but you also get deep into Newman, which which is kind of funny because you guys have parallel paths in a lot of ways. And I mean, yes, Newman has a lot of parallel paths with with many converts. But one of the things that you mentioned there, just in in general, is they have the support group for for a lot of these Protestants. Well a lot of them were ministers, right? So, and you had mentioned in your story that you actually, you would hit pause right before that. But once you get into ministry, you know, as, as Dr. Scott Hahn and uh, many others in oh, the, pa- the pastor from who, why am I blanking on a uh, mega church pastor? A mega, church, a mega church pastor who became Catholic. Yeah. Who's the con- confessions of a mega church pastor? Help me out. Throw me a, Oh man, I'm drawing a blank. Okay. I, yeah. Anyway, there are a lot of these guys who come in and what, and they have to give up a lot more. So you would kind of stop just right before that. Yeah, I was at Duke Divinity School studying to, to, to go into ministry, but I actually hadn't started officially any process of ordination. I was involved in some youth ministry at a Methodist church, but I certainly can't portray my own sort of experience as, as being as intense as someone like Scott Hahn, who was like embedded you know, as a longtime pastor at a church. Alan, Alan Hunt was the name I was looking for. So there it is. Alan okay. Hunt is the other name I was looking for. But yeah, same type of thing where he was embedded at a church 
and and a lot of the people on this show are. But to your point, you had you had started the conversion process kind of in, in college. Yeah, so I grew up evangelical Protestant. I was a member of a Bible church, and the Bible church that I was a part of, they had this dispensational theology. If any listeners are familiar with the Left Behind series, sort of Christian science fiction, that kind of idea of a rapture where Christians would be taken out of the world before seven years of tribulation, that was our actual theology. Uh, But when I got to college, I started to question some of that, especially it's sort of late arrival in history and how with this supposedly very important idea, Christians had not known about it for centuries. And that really got me thinking about tradition and the history of the church and the unity of the church. So at that point, I still had enough sort of anti-Catholic assumptions that I drifted towards an Episcopal church. And I wasn't really thinking fully about Catholicism as an undergraduate. You know, I thought one of the most interesting parts you talked about uh, in the whole thing, there were two or three that really stuck out to me. But one of them was you talking about questioning uh, the way things are done. And you made the example of uh, the pastor talking about St. Paul's teaching on women wearing veils in yeah. chapel. And could you elaborate a bit about that and how that relates to your views on, on church and church history? Yeah, I don't know if I actually, Joe, explained that real well on the show. So it's, it's great to be posed this on the radio because I can fill <laughs> in the picture a bit. So for me, what I was trying to drive home with that point is that I grew up in a congregation that said, we just, we follow the Bible alone and the plain sense meaning of scripture. We're completely committed to that. Well, the more I studied the Bible, the more I realized that's a really difficult thing. And in saying that on the journey home, my goal was not, of course, in any way to undercut the authority of sacred scripture, but just to say, you know, in the New Testament, St. Paul gives this directive that in church, women should have their heads covered. And it seems like a straightforward command. It's kind of grounded in Paul's understanding of creation and the relationship between men and women. And yet in the Bible church that I attended, you know, no one practiced that. And uh, I, I think I remember posing this to a church leader and him saying, well, that was sort of a cultural assumption and we've moved beyond that. And I, I don't really want to get bogged down in the weeds about whether you know women should or should not still do that. But for me, it was just a clear instance of the plain meaning of scripture is always not so plain. And if it really was, Joe, I don't think we'd have thousands of denominations because most of these were started by well-meaning people who just wanted to do what scripture says. Well, I thought that was just a clear example. I never thought of that one specifically, but yeah, I mean, the scripture says this, but obviously we're not practicing it. Uh, and so, you, you know, you alluded to a, the development of doctrine and B having some sort of authority uh, who can help you know, come to, uh, to help us understand where we are uh, supposed to, you know, supposed to be putting our faith in today and how develop, you know, there's also part of that development of doctrine with Newman mm-hmm. as well. And I, I thought that specifically the head covering thing was an interesting way of, of putting that. One of the other things that I wanted to get more clarification on that I thought was just so interesting. I think sister Walsh, was that her name? Yes, that's right. So sister Walsh was your kind of a spiritual director of some sort. Is that yes. what you call it? Or when we started our master of divinity program there, that's how they build it. I don't know if the conversations I had with her were completely the way that we think about spiritual, spiritual direction, in the Catholic church, but it's really supposed to be like a conversation partner for unpacking some of what I was learning in my classes. So when she suggested the rosary to you, was it, I'm just trying to, what was your initial reaction to something like that? I mean, just, it wasn't quite heresy, but um, was it like, what are you talking about? Or were you pretty receptive? Um, You know, Joe, I kind of joke with my wife that I do honestly feel like God 
in some ways gave me sort of a Catholic DNA. And what I mean by that is there are some stances in the tradition we grew up in that I just never really had. So we were we were sort of um, really averse to sacred images because it was seen as a violation of the commandment against graven images. Again, you know, sort of an interesting part of the passage of the Bible to like grab a hold of and run with. But that was a key thing growing up. And I always, whenever I visited the Catholic church in my younger years, I was kind of blown away by the beauty and the sacredness that was there. So I didn't always have the sort of default suspicions that you sometimes meet in evangelicals. Um, so when, when Sister Joanna, uh, when she suggested that to me, I was intrigued. I couldn't say that I embraced it immediately. Like I didn't go home and start praying the rosary. It, it took some time. And it was really, as I was struggling, I felt like my prayer life was really dry. I think you've already mentioned the name Han in his Rome Sweet Home. He mentions that the first time he prays the rosary, he says to God, like, forgive me if this is idolatrous. Mm. And I don't know if my experience was that dramatic, but I did. I think the first time I prayed it, I prayed it with some trepidation. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and for anyone who hasn't read that book, uh, Rome Sweet Home, first of anything Scott Han. Uh, rights is, is worth your time, but that specific one uh, for anyone who's mm. either considering converting or who has converted, I'm, I'm sure that would be close to the top of your list. Uh, Dr. Bud, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think especially if you have friends or coworkers or relatives who are coming from an evangelical or a, a reformed background, that the way that he and Kimberly talk about their journey into the church, he, he really addresses a lot of the questions that are going to be pertinent to someone who's sort of an evangelical Christian. What? So do you remember is an awkwardness with the rosary at first, or did you, I mean, was it, is it something that came naturally to you? I'm just kind of curious on how this works as someone who's, you know, I, I almost imagine you kind of shaking as you're, as you're starting it. Uh, how, how does that even work? Well, I'll be honest. I, I share this with a little bit of reticence because I, I didn't know uh, this specific topic would come up and I've, I've actually not shared this with too many people, Joe, but, um, since you ask, I will say that the first time I prayed the rosary, um, it was one of the more mystical experiences I've had. Wow. And I'm not someone who's prone to mysticism. It's like a once every seven or eight years thing. But I did. I, I, I do feel like I, in a way, felt Mary's tangible presence. And I was reminded during that prayer of sort of like the gravity of my sins, that even though because of the cross, our sins are forgiven. They're not to be taken lightly. And also that Our Lady was pointing me to her son. And it's funny because when I was received in the church, I was received into a little church, St. Mary's, in Mount Olive, North Carolina. And the priest, of Father James Garneau, when he preached at that mass, at which I was confirmed, he shared a story of Mother Teresa struggling with her vocation and embracing this life of radical poverty. And he she has this kind of description of Our Lady with her hands on on Teresa's shoulders, on St. Teresa's shoulders. And I would say that my first time praying the rosary, I had something that was, was akin to that. Now, I'm not comparing myself to Mother Teresa at all, but it was interesting that that came up in the sermon at which I was received into the wow. church. Wow, that's a really cool story. Uh, do, you, do, you still, do you still have a devotion to the rosary in any way, shape, or form? I'm curious in your own spiritual life coming from uh, from an evangelical background. Yeah, actually the rosary is one of my main forms of prayer. And I know some really like Lexio Divina or mental prayer, certainly the daily office. But for myself, uh, the rosary is a really 
practical way of, you know, entering into the Opus Day. I wish I was better at praying the office. I need to work on that some more. So it's it's the rosary most often. Very good. You guys do as a family out of curiosity? Well, uh, sometimes during like more intense seasons in the church, like yeah. Advent and Lent, we do have some night prayers, but I usually don't get around to a full rosary with all the yeah, kids. Yeah, so... So if if I were to answer that truthfully, I'd say my wife does. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just not as good about it as she is. Uh, and I'd, I'd like again if I if I look at the person I want to be. If we're gonna if we're we're gonna all hey listen, you're sharing some stuff. I'll share some stuff here. Do a confession here on the yeah. radio. I mean, when I look at the man I want to be, I'm the man that does it every day, right? I'm the guy mm-hmm. leading the family in rosary every day. I think that's how I I want to be. Uh, I think it's where, where my goal would be, but I'm not there at, at yeah. all. And so I'm just kind of curious again with you coming from that background. Another thing I was thinking about is as you, you know, so the rosary be one, the other one would just be the papacy in general. That seems to be when you listen to the, the coming home series or any of these people that, that can be one of the major sticking points is the idea of the Pope and the, the office of, uh, of the papacy. And was that a, was that a hurdle for you? I'm trying to recall my hurdles. You know, if I could speak frankly, Joe, I was married for, like half a decade as a Protestant. And so some of the church's like moral teachings, those were almost like more, those were bigger hurdles for me. I really embraced Marian devotion with the papacy. I don't think I remember as remember it as a hurdle. I will say that I've kind of grown in my understanding of the papacy. So I studied um, at St. Louis University. That's where I did my doctorate. And my writing was on... Um, John Henry Newman, his the development and his understanding of the church. And what I argue in that dissertation is that Newman started out with this really maximalist understanding of the papacy, that the Pope was provided by, you know, divine providence to solve uh, most of like the theological problems that we come to tackle. And over time, Newman moved to a different place. And part of it was he saw the way that sometimes others in the church would just magnify every word that the Pope says. And so uh, Newman came around to this idea of like there being three offices in the church, the prophetical, the priestly, and the kingly. The kingly has to do with the pope and bishops, the prophetical is theologians, and the priestly is the rest of us, the faithful practicing devotion. And for Newman, at the end of his life, he said, all of those three are absolutely essential. And if one sort of like oversteps its role, the whole thing becomes imbalanced. And I I think um, through my study of Newman's writings, that's sort of the place that I've landed today. You didn't have to struggle with the idea of the magisterium and the Pope as a, I've heard of some people saying that was the last, that's the last straw they had to get to the last hurdle they had to get over for you. Obviously with relying so much on Newman yeah. or your relationship with Newman, obviously you had kind of a different approach or different respect, I suppose, for the office. And now coming forward here, we're in, you know, late part of 2020 and, you know, Pope Francis oftentimes, and even recently, says you know things that are fairly ambiguous, uh, things that can be misconstrued or or just you know misinterpreted, um, or leaves lots of room for us to interpret. How does that you know does that shake your faith in the papacy again as someone who who came from a different background? Well, yeah, and answering your question in two parts. The first thing is I do remember seeing the papacy as a kind of gift because I was drawn to the tradition and liturgy of the church, and for a time I. I sort of toyed with the idea of becoming Eastern Orthodox. They have, you know, beautiful rites themselves. And it seems to have this like very apostolic character. One thing that I found convincing ultimately was that the church 
through the papacy, but also through what we call like the ordinary magisterium, is able to address pressing contemporary questions that have to do with like bioethics or whatever. I saw that as a real gift to the church. Now, with the issue you raise about how an individual pope maybe practices his ministry, that's where some of what I was saying about Newman is really helpful. He was actually one of the first theologians after the definition of papal infallibility to really work on the criteria about what constitutes an infallible statement, that it has to be given to the universal church on a matter of faith and morals and be spoken ex cathedra, meaning from the seat of the Pope's office, you know, specifically as the Holy Father. And that's an important distinction. And it ties into what you're asking about, Joe, because there are times that the Pope will speak off the cuff or he'll speak maybe to an interviewer on a plane, obviously over dinner or something like that. And those in a properly Catholic understanding, those don't carry the same weight. The Pope is still Pope, but he's speaking as, so to speak, like a private theologian. And I do think we have to keep those things in mind. You know, anytime the Holy Father speaks to us, we ought to receive it with docility and really take time to like reflect and say, how am I challenged by what he says here? On the other hand, we do a disservice to the church and especially to those who are outside the church if we try to turn what's a private statement into something that binds us all. And so you mentioned like ambiguous statements. Uh, When those things happen, I think you do see either the enemies of the church or maybe even those within who are really looking for changes to the to to, to the the teachings of the church the world finds so problematic. And I think we have to understand those things in their proper context. It's interesting as you talk about uh, Newman's writings, and you mentioned in your in, in your actual interview um, how his ghost was over Vatican II. Well, mm. he's almost kind of like Shakespeare. The more I read Shakespeare, the more I realize that he is just part of our DNA as human beings. Like yeah. all of the references, like everything is built off of Shakespeare in the literary sense. That seems to be the way it is with Newman. Like his writing is so big that it's almost as now in our DNA because of everything that went through Vatican II. Um, and I'm sure you, as someone who's now studied him for so long, can see that more than than most. Yeah, there were a lot of ideas that at the time seemed sort of radical. So his idea of like the sense of the faithful, that the church, when it's discerning a doctrinal question, should take into account the devotion of the lay faithful, etc. His idea of the development of doctrine, that you have the deposit of faith and the church's understanding of what it means develops or grows over time. Even his writings on conscience, all those things at the time, I think some folks found really challenging. And today, like you said, they're very much just sort of the framework with which we approach theology and church teaching. Now, that being said, I mean, I should warn folks that sometimes there's progressive theologians out there who want to take an idea like the development of doctrine and run with it in a way that Newman would have never uh, approved of, sort of this like evolutionary understanding of, of church teaching that it could say one thing in one century and then something completely different in another. But that being said, I mean, I I really think at the end of the day, Newman was a deeply conservative person in the sense that he wanted to conserve the tradition. He talked about it in ways that he hoped would be meaningful for, you know, his interlocutors and contemporary human beings. But he was always deeply concerned that he stay within the bounds of orthodoxy and even ended one essay by saying, if the church, you know, has any issues at all, I'll gladly retract this. And 
I think we need more of that sort of like humility and the, the desire to think with the mind of the church today. Yeah. I mean, if we could have more, more John Henry Newman's, I think we'd be on a better course. <laughs> uh, we have about 30 seconds left. Speaking of journey homes, you're coming back to Des Moines. You've been in Pittsburgh working at the Newman Institute out there. What's bringing you back and what are you doing when you get back here? Yeah, certainly my family and I are really thrilled to be back in Des Moines because it is home to us. I grew up in Omaha uh, and my family still lives there, but we grew to love Des Moines when I taught at Mercy. I'm going to be taking on the role of academic dean there. So I'm really excited for this new venture. And since we're short on time, if I could mention briefly, if you're interested in learning more about St. John Henry Newman, I recently did publish a book with Our Sunday Visitor. It's called Seeking God with St. John Henry Newman. And it's available on their website or, of course, you know, online sellers everywhere. Go buy that book, everyone. Let's not waste any time here. Let's go watch the interview and buy the book. Uh, well, hey, we're, obviously, now that you're going to be back, we're going to be able to do this in studio again soon. Uh, and gosh darn it, I'm excited just to get together with you and maybe play some soccer again or something. I can't wait for the first Man Up Uncommon Good crossover. It's going to be epic. It's going to be totally epic. So, Dr. Bud Marr, thank you so much for joining me again today on Man Up. Thanks for having me, Joe. We're going to head to a short break, and we'll be right back. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by the Catholic Tuition Organization. Your support of CTO provides qualifying families tuition assistance to send their kiddos to our Catholic schools. They benefit, and you benefit, with 65% Iowa tax credits. Online at ctoiowa.org. Until December 15th, contributions from new donors are matched. New donors double their impact with a donation to CTO. Thanks to the Reichardt Family Foundation. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Listen to Be Not Afraid with Father Fabian Mancata and Father P.J. McManus Tuesday mornings at 9 on Iowa Catholic Radio and on demand at iowacatholicradio.com and the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. St. Anthony Catholic School would like to invite you to learn about our exceptional educational program of traditional schooling that includes an opportunity for a second language in Spanish immersion and where faith and prayer are a part of the daily education. Students attend in person and in school five days a week safely. We offer preschool for three-year-olds through eighth grade and on-site child care from 6.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Go to school.stanthonydsm.org to learn more. My help comes you. Right here Thanks again to Bud Marr for joining me to discuss his recent interview on the Journey Home on EWTN. As I mentioned, uh, go either to their podcast, uh, EWTN Journey Home, or, or go actually check the YouTube video out. I'm not sure what you would recommend. It's always awkward to see yourself uh, on video, but he did a very good job. Uh, on that show again it's a it's a really good show and i i like a lot of the interviews they do on there so when i heard that uh bud was was on and i was i was excited again uh something i didn't mention in the interview but i i assume you guys know it this time he also has a show on iowa catholic radio the uncommon good with bo bonner and bud marr 
Uh, check that out. Get that on your podcast, regular listening, and also you can listen to it uh, on Iowa Catholic Radio as well. Really excited to have him back in Iowa. We're blessed to have him. He's an absolute gem of a man. Uh, he'll do great work for Mercy College of Health Sciences, so we're just excited to have him back in the area. Thank you again for joining me on Man Up on Iowa Catholic Radio. I am Joe Stopulus. It's time to man up. Man Up, inspiring men to live out their call to holiness with Joe Stopulus. Heard Mondays at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio. Brought to you by Construction Professionals.